morning, everybody. Great to have uh, some of the young ones get up and, and share. Appreciate Jack and Georgia sharing their hearts and their insights and, you know, having such conviction. Both less than a year old as disciples, I think, right? Or Jack's just over a year? Still under. Right? That's awesome. Very, very good. Appreciate that, guys. A couple, uh, couple of things coming up, obviously, um, here on, on the announcement slide. Uh, midweek this week, and it is the first Wednesday of April, which is shocking, it's already April. Uh, and we do have uh, uh, Devos for, for the young people. Uh, I think the little, the little guys are going to uh, Latitude. Right? So, if you have a preteen, I know. We can go as well. Other people want to go. Uh, but that's coming up. Draw your attention to the end of the month, 28th of April. Uh, we'll have uh, we'll go for we'll do some regional uh, meal services. Uh, we can talk more about that when we get closer to that date. Amen. Awesome. Let's look. Uh, let's look, continue our, our journey through the Gospel of Matthew. Uh, we're up to the Last Supper, uh, and I wish I could say it was intentional, uh, but we're kind of into the the meat of the uh, the passion narrative, the, the end of the, the Gospels. Uh, of Jesus' death and, and his burial uh, right at Easter, which is kind of cool. Uh, again, we didn't plan it out whenever we started a year and a half ago, but nonetheless, it worked out. So let's read here, uh, starting there in Matthew 26, down in verse 17, uh, all the way down to 30. It says, On the first day of the festival of unleavened bread, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, Where do you want us to make preparations for you to eat the Passover? He replied, go into the city to a certain man and tell him, the teacher says, my appointed time is near. I'm going to celebrate the Passover with my disciple at your house. So the disciples did as Jesus had directed them and prepared the Passover. But when he came, Jesus was reclining at the table with the twelve. And while they were eating, he said, truly I tell you, one of you will betray me. They're very sad and began to say to him one after another, surely you don't mean me, Lord. Jesus replied, the one who has dipped his hand into the bowl with me will betray me. The Son of Man will go, just as it is written about him. But woe to that man who betrays the Son of Man. It would be better for him if he had not been born. Then Judas, the one who would betray him, said, Surely you don't mean me, Rabbi. Jesus answered, You have said so. While they were eating, Jesus took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take and eat, this is my body. Then he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he said to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink from this fruit of the vine from now on until the day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. When they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Stop there. We'll have a prayer. We'll look at uh, uh, one of the fundamental and foundational concepts of Christianity, which is the Eucharist, the breaking the bread and the wine, which we take... Uh, every Sunday. So let's have a prayer and then we'll look at that a little more in-depthly. Father, we, uh, you know, we thank you that we can, we can pause life, uh, gather together at the, at the beginning of a week and, uh, and consider you and consider your words, consider your ways uh, and, and allow them to, to shape our minds and our hearts, God. We, we pray that this afternoon you do help us, God. Help us to understand just the significance uh, of what your Son has come and done and accomplished, God. Help it to be a, 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 a concept, a reality in our lives that, that truly does change us from the inside out, God. Uh, we need your, your help even in, in, in allowing that into our hearts, God. We do pray you open up our eyes, that, that your spirit can convict us, 
expose the, the futility of, of our you know, self-created philosophies and, and, and ideas which we follow God and help us to see just the profound wisdom in your way uh, and, and how that can change our lives, God. We, we love you and we thank you and we ask you to be with us now. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. We, we touched on this last week, but, but the gospel writers all slow way down and devote way more time, material, papyrus, writing it in their scrolls uh, to this aspect of Jesus' life than, than the other three years of his ministry and even his birth and, and upbringing, right? That they're structured in a way which should help us to see that they're, they focus, right? And in the, you know, if you pile all the, all the Gospels together, uh, one-third of the material deals with his last days, which is interesting, all right? Uh, you know, roughly 33 you know, years old when he was crucified, uh, ministered in, in, in Israel for, for roughly three years, and yet 33% of the gospel material points to just the last few days. Again, it's significant, and then the gospel writers are trying to say it. One, one writer uh, actually says that the gospels are essentially passion narratives with very long extended introductions. You know, we, we view them as the end, right? Because we're all the way in chapter 26. But really, they're, they're structured almost like everything else leading up to his final week is just is introduction. Th- this, this is the central ideas that we need to grasp and understand, right? Um, and, and there's lots in there. I mean, we, we, we obviously, we don't have time this afternoon. But, I mean, we, we touched on it a little bit last week of, of uh, the schemers. Because there's a lot of schemers around Jesus. A lot of people working on their plans that... The, the chief priests, the teachers of the law, the high priests, along with Judah. Uh, Judas obviously working to, to, to arrest Jesus in a way that doesn't cause an upwork because he is a popular figure at that point. Uh, you know, and the Passover was a time in, in, in a festival where, where, you know, all Jews that were able to would come. Mm-hmm. Right? They all come. I mean, they'll tra- travel from northern Africa, uh, traveling there, which again, not, not flights, not, not bullet train, not by car. Long journeys to come, and then they would flood the city. And you know, they, they understood that, that trying to arrest Jesus at a time may be uh, unpopular, and there may be an uproar. And so they schemed, they made plans uh, to try to shut Jesus up, essentially. You know, and and here we see more of that unfold with Judas. And Judas is a fascinating character. Uh, you know, and, and even in this text, it's just it's interesting. Uh, you know that that. <laughs> Jesus announces to them there in, in, in the beginning of what we read uh, down there in, in verse 21 uh, that, that one of them is going to betray him. You know, and I, I've read through the Gospels numerous times. Uh, I've preached on the Gospels a lot of time, but, but it's just, you, you can't get away from the reality of, of the depths of Jesus' love in that no one realizes it's Judas. That's always shocking to me. You know what I mean? I mean, he, he's one of the twelve. They spent three years together, day in and day out, pretty much. And, and yet, everyone's not like, oh, it's Judas. Yeah. No, no one knows. Yeah. No one knows. And it, and it shows us, you know, obviously God's incredible patience, His tolerance, His kindness, uh, obviously trying to help us come to repentance. For Judas, it doesn't happen, you know? And, and even how Judas gets to this point, I mean, you think, how in the world do you walk around uh, day in and day out, seeing, seeing the things Jesus did firsthand, and not believe. You know, I mean, you think about at this point. Obviously, Jesus has stopped miracles. He stopped doing that. Uh, his teaching at this point is is, is is exclusively private to his disciples. Uh, but but much of that was done publicly throughout the Gospels. And yet, here's Judas at the end. You know, I'm not, I'm not sure if you noticed it or not, but you know, you, you see as Jesus warns all the disciples there, verse twenty twenty two. 
uh, you know, they were very sad. It's kind of a, a downplay. I mean, in Greek, it's like they are, they are crushed with anguish at the thought that one of them is going to betray him. And they, one after another, what do they say? Surely you don't mean me, Lord. But how does Judas respond? Rabbi? How do you spend all that time with him and still think he's a teacher? It's impossible. I mean, even if you read the gospel and you and you just take it at face value, what Matthew says, there's no way you arrive at 26 and still think Jesus is just simply some philosophical teacher. Mm-hmm. But Judas does. You know, that's a sober warning of the danger, really, of, of you know the, the the wickedness of human of our human heart. We can turn a blind eye to just about anything, <laughs> right? And Judas does that. And there are other factors for sure: stealing money. Covering it up, concealing sin, it does have a blinding effect, but it's, it's shocking nonetheless, right? Uh, but we can't focus on Judas, you know, because it's not really a focus in, in many sense here. The, the, the focus is, is Jesus taking a, a well-established uh, Jewish festival, a feast, and, and completely uh, changing the meaning of what it was all about, right? Uh, and, 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 and you think about these things, and, and even that, that the gospel slow down so much, I mean, it's... It's 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 confusing in many ways that they do that. I mean, you slow down and you focus in on Jesus' death. That's that's vastly different than than every other founder of world religion. Jesus' death. All right. Uh, you think about Moses, right? Founding father of of the the Jewish faith. Uh, lives to 120. The Bible says he's still strong, still vigorous. Uh, he's there on the mountain, and they can see the promised land, and he knows he, he, he's done his task, which was to lead God's people out of Egypt to the promised land. Since the fulfillment, as Moses has, has, has completed the task God set before him, right? Uh, and again, this is from their own, you know, the, the various religions' own, own writings, right? Uh, Buddha dies at 80, surrounded by, by many of his disciples, uh, in peaceful serenity, uh, you know, viewing his, his work as a success. Right. Confucius, 72, previously had been driven out of his hometown. Now he, he's welcomed back into his hometown with honor. Again, all, all of his followers rallied around him. Uh, success, 72, passing away. Mm-hmm. Right. Muhammad dies in his 60s, uh, having a, been the first political ruler of an entire United Arab. Pretty, pretty impressive. He dies in the arms of his wife, there, you know, somewhere in his 60s. And, and yet, here's Jesus, 33. One of his twelve is, is the one who sold him out, and, and he's dying. And, and the gospel writers, like we said, they don't they don't shy away from it. They zoom in on it. They don't they don't try to brush it under the rug as like an oops moment. They 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 devote a bulk of their time, a bulk of the material, a bulk of their preaching is focused on it, which for many would, would seem to be a, a shame because you know he dies thirty three, uh, you know, literally being crucified, stripped naked, and dying in front of people publicly. Shameful, shameful way to die. You know, why would his followers have looked at that? Uh, you know, why would anyone have looked at that, see, seen how he died, seemingly unsuccessful, and choose to devote their lives to? Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, even, even you know, this uh, Roman statesman Cicero, who lived about two generations before Jesus. You know, he, he even you know he was a fervent writer, and and uh, you know, even even the word cruci- in, in crucified in, in, in Latin crux was essentially a swear word back then. And yet it becomes an, the, the emblem of Christianity. Right? It's a little, it's a little semi-disturbing to, to do, but for the sake of helping drive home the point. I mean, we have lots of swear words in our culture. You wouldn't, you wouldn't 
uh, found a church and named it the Church of Bleep. <laughs> right? But it made you all an initial like, curiosity because it's absurd sounding. But it's just, it, it goes against logic. And yet, this is what happens. Right? And John Stott is a famous theologian. He says the fact that a cr- the cross became the Christian symbol and that Christians stubbornly refused, in spite of the ridicule, to discard it in favor of something less offensive can have only one explanation. He says it means that the centrality of the cross originated in the mind of Jesus himself. And it was out of fierce loyalty to him that his followers clung so doggedly to this sign despite all the hardship. You know, what, what Stott is saying is, is, is essentially this idea that, that, that people wouldn't have come up with that. If you, were, if you were manufacturing a religion in the first century, choosing crucifixion as your rallying point, would not, that would not be a good idea. That would not have been popular. You wouldn't have met with the, the latest and the uh, most you know, experts in, in marketing and advertising and uh, you know, uh, your publicist and, and say, hey, here's my idea. Let's go with crucifixion as the core point. You're not, you're not gonna, you, you wouldn't do that. It would be illogical to play against you. But, but that tells us in many ways, like many other things that, uh, with Jesus' death and his resurrection, such as like women being the first witnesses to his resurrection. You don't, that's not kind of stuff you make up because that actually hurts your case. Yeah. Right? And so it tells us, look, that the origin had its genesis in, in Jesus and him alone, not in people. Right? Not in people. You know, and even how they devote all this material to this time, and even Jesus as he looks at it. You know, Matthew doesn't, doesn't tell us this, but in Luke 22, you know, as Jesus looks forward to the apostles, he says, or to the Passover, he says, I've eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. But even Jesus knew that was, this is where we're heading. This is pinnacle moment. This is where these guys are really going to actually begin to understand the core point of Christianity. You know, and, and so Jesus here in this Last Supper, as he, as he runs this meal, tells us a lot of very, very important things about Christianity. Amen? Yeah. First, it tells us the importance of his death. The second, the purpose of his death. And third, we learn how we can connect to his death. So let's look at these things pretty briefly here. Uh, first being the importance of his death. Like, like I mentioned earlier, the Passover was a central feast, uh, and a, you know, kind of a mandatory attendance type of thing, no matter where you lived in the Roman Empire, if you were Jewish, that to come and to be a part of it. Uh, and it was steeped in the very history of, of how they went from being Hebrew people, culturally identified people, to, an, to the Israelites in terms of being a nation. Right? It's the story of, of, of them being slaves in Egypt and then being freed uh, out of that and becoming a nation and entering into the land uh, where, they, where they continue to reside. Right? Uh, you know, and, and even you know, within that, that narrative, uh, the plagues are uh, you know, a series of, of judgments that God kind of almost undo, undoes creation. It's kind of an interesting study. If you look at the plagues, kind of reversing the order of creation uh, from, from order to chaos. You know, the, the, the pinnacle of that being the Passover. Right, the meal they had, the final plague they faced, uh, right before they had redemption, you know, and, and it becomes Exodus twelve tells us that they are they are charged to eat this meal over and over. Right, and it wasn't just a meal; it was a meal that had a lesson attached to it, and they were charged every year eat this meal, every year do this. And there's questions and answers. It's about educating the next generation because God was telling the Israelites this has this has to be uh, an anchoring point for your identity as a people. Right? And so Jesus, choosing to die at this time, choosing to, to be crucified at this time, choosing to do this uh, at this moment in, in, in the Jewish calendar is significant. 
you know, and Jesus there, you know, we see in verse 26, he, he's residing as an overseer at that meal. And, and uh, as the meal begins, as it is meant to begin, uh, you know, they, they give thanks and he takes bread and, and, and he breaks it and he gives to his disciples or in, in terms of the Passover, be your friends, your neighbors, your close family. And, and what the Jewish people would say is this is the bread of affliction which our fathers ate in the wilderness. Right? Tell them, remind your people, look, you're free, but you've got to understand the cost. Your ancestors suffered in Egypt. They suffered in the wilderness. But that's how we're here now. Right? They suffered so we could be delivered. But Jesus doesn't say that. But all of his, his Jewish friends and followers would have understood. He doesn't say, this is the bread of affliction. He says, this bread is my body. He takes the central idea of the Passover meal and he replaces it with himself. Right? This is my body. Right? He's saying at that moment, his death you know, is a central climatic event in history of God's work with his people. Everything in reality points to this moment, just as it did for Jews with, 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 the, uh, with the Passover. You know, Jesus is saying in, his, in a nutshell, all the way back to Adam and Eve and the shame that, that Jack mentioned, to the near sacrifice of Isaac, to that redemption in Egypt, the whole sacrificial system of Leviticus and the covenant, uh, every return from exile, all of them are pointing to this moment of redemption, which is Jesus. Right? And he's telling his followers here uh, that, that, that the importance of his death cannot be uh, understated. That, that, that despite its offensiveness to the world around us, despite the fact that it would become a stumbling block for many, it is the core concept in the gospel message. Right? His death, he is saying there, is central. Secondly, what's the purpose of his death? Right? What's the purpose of it? He obviously makes it immensely important by beginning to change uh, the, the, the thousands of years uh, of history in terms of you know, what they said at the Passover meal by making it about himself rather than the, the bread. Uh, you know, why did he die? You know, and if you look down there in verse, verse 27 and 28, you know, he says, uh, it, 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 verse 28, they take the cups and they would have four cups of wine. And we'll talk about that in a second. He, he tells the disciples as they take a glass of wine, drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. That's interesting language that Jesus uses here. You know, the, the word uh, there, there in, in four, the first four in that sentence, poured out for many, for the forgiveness of sins. So the first of those fours uh, is this Greek word that, that has sacrificial language connected to it. All right? It's for you. It's instead of you. Drink this, because my blood's going to be poured out so yours doesn't have to. My blood's going to be spilled so that, so that you don't have to have your blood spilled. Sacrificial language. And again, that's not what the cups were meant to be about. That's not what the cups would be about, right? They, they, would have, uh, they would have four glasses of wine that are attached to the four great promises of Exodus 6, which is, I will bring you out, I will deliver, I will redeem, and I will take. Kind of celebratory you know, thoughts, right? You know, and, and Jesus, again, just like he does with the bread, he almost brushes it aside. no, no, no. This cup represents my blood spilled so your blood doesn't have to be spilled. You know, but what's very interesting here, and that, that is interesting, but what's even more interesting as Jesus celebrates the Passover is there's something missing. It's a meal, right? And it did involve bread multiple times. Starter and as a dessert, right? Justification for sticky date is a dessert. It's bread, dessert, right? You know, but, but no one... No one 
you know, as we pass the, the, the trays around and have communion, eats, eats the, the unleavened bread, the cracker, and drinks a little cup of wine. No one thinks, oh man, I'm stuffed, no dinner tonight. <laughs> uh, man, I'm, I'm, I'm satisfied, right? And even in the Passover meal, that, that didn't involve just bread and wine, it involved lamb. But, but it's left out. The main course of the Passover meal, Jesus doesn't even, there's no mention of it, there's no talking about it, there's no direct address to it. Right? Even as he got his disciples to, to prepare it, I don't know, did someone forget to go to the butcher? Get lamb? I don't know what happened, but it's not there, right? But, but, but it is there. Because it's going to be Jesus, as we know. Right? But you think about that concept of, of, of even the lamb, which Jesus obviously grabs a hold of, and John the Baptist knew it, as we saw him in the beginning there in John uh, chapter 2, or John chapter 1, he looks at Jesus and says, look, behold, the lamb of God, he takes away the sins of the world. Right? That, that Jesus was obviously going to be that, 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 that you know, uh, that, that sacrificial lamb. But you think about the lamb of the Passover. Right? It was the main course. It was the final stroke of the plagues. And it's interesting, you know, uh, the, he, God tells the Israelites and He tells the Egyptians that the angel of judgment is coming. The angel of judgment is going to come through, through Egypt. Uh, and, and it doesn't matter if you're Pharaoh's household or if you're the household of slaves. Judgment's coming. Which you would think, okay, this is the God of the Hebrews. He's sending judgment. Who's he going to judge? Egyptians. There's wicked pagans who, who had murdered their children. But judgment isn't just going to come on them, the Egyptians. It's going to come on everyone. Whether you're Egyptian or whether you're Israelite, Hebrew. Everyone is going to face judgment. You know, some look at it and say it's the, mo- the most non discriminatory judgment that happens. You know, and the Passover meal was a reminder of that. Right? That they all were going to face judgment. Whether you're Egyptian or Israelite, it didn't matter. Everyone was going to face judgment. And if you've read a bit of the New Testament, you realize that that theme continues. All fall short. All deserve death. No, no one's better than anyone, uh, you know, better than anyone else. No one's worse than anyone else. We, we all fall under judgment. And for the Israelites, then you will not be saved unless that blood covers you. You know, and, and, and it wasn't... Uh, you, you'll escape judgment if you, you know, pray a certain number of times in a day or, you know, have the right heart. I mean, imagine if it was like, hey, if you have a faithful heart that night, God will pass over you. No one would sleep. I don't know. How do I keep my heart centered on it? Let me, you know, let, let me keep my heart faithful. Well, what's the opposite of faithful? Unfaithful. I'm thinking about being unfaithful. Is that the most? It'd be, you'd be paralyzed with analyzing uh, if that was the case. Then say Right? Put the blood on your doorpost. Put the blood on, on, on your door. That's the only way to escape that judgment. You know. And again, it's significant that Jesus here is, is hosting a Passover meal and does bread, does wine, but there's no lamb. You know, because the disciples here are going to discover very quickly the reality of what you've been explaining to them all along in, is that he is that lamb. It's only by his blood you escape judgment. But there is no other way. There was no other way that night in, in Egypt and there is no other way for mankind. It's only by the blood of the Lamb. You know, and this is obviously a, a huge point uh, that we often hear people talk about, and Jack and, and Georgia even touched on it today, this idea that, that it's, it's that sacrifice that changes us. You know, I mentioned last week, B wasn't here, but I did ask for permission. I, I didn't ask for permission, but I shared something positive about you last week. Uh, we studied the Bible with me and Damien, and... and, and and, and I asked V after we studied the cross what, what she thought about what, what does this mean for her life and, 
And, and she said, how could, I, how could I not change? Because the, the concept of the cross, the concept of someone else laying down their life for you to show you how much they love you, how could you not respond to that? That's what Paul says, right? It crosses, for Christ's love compels us, or literally it controls us. It, it grabs hold of us, right? You can't get away with it. It's, it's, so, uh, it's so confronting because it's so otherworldly, right? And, and over to, again, it's not just the Last Supper where Jesus is trying to make this point. Earlier in, in chapter 23, at the end of that chapter, which is a pretty scary chapter, but, but it's the, all the scariness of the woes that he passes on, on the religious leaders and, and, the, and the chief priests, teachers of the law, he ends that chapter with Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets. The other gospel tells us he's weeping. He's looking out over Jerusalem and he's weeping. And what does he say? How often I've longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you weren't willing. He looks at them that, that, have, that have, you know, put to death messenger after messenger that God has sent them over the, the, the years. And it's not wrath and judgment he has towards them. He, he gives this image of a mother hen shielding her chicks. Yeah. You know, and, and, and mother hens have been known literally to shield their chicks to the point that they die so the chicks survive. And he's saying, here's what I want. Here's what I'm trying to do. Here's why I've come. I'm willing to spill my blood so you can escape that angel of judgment that's going to come. Demonstration of the depth of his love. This reality that unless Jesus died, in order, you know, that we had no other way of being saved, guys. There's no other way. If there was another way, it wouldn't make any sense. You know what I mean? If you're trying to, you know, if I was trying to prove my love to Michelle and we're walking by the river and I'm going to prove to you how much I love you and I jump in and I drown. <laughs> Michelle's be like, stupid, selfish Sam. Like, true, true to character, right? But, but if she's drowning and you jump in and you rescue her, right? She's leaving me for you. You know what I mean? It's a, like the, why didn't you go in? You know what I mean? It's a, it's a demonstration of, of love if you lay down your life for someone else. And, and, the, and that, that idea only works if that's the only way. And, 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 and kind of step back and look. I mean, every other, whether it's religious system or, or philosophy of self-help that the world offers us to, to improve life and, and find salvation, it depends on us. It depends on our commitment. We're going to get out what we put in. The cross turns that upside down. Yeah. We put nothing in but bad. Mm-hmm. What, are, what is our state? Romans 5, we're powerless. We have made such a mess of it. We are power, we're, the, we're the problem, not the solution. We're created in the image of God, but the reality is we choose to be ungodly. God sets marks, and we miss the mark. We're sinners. And in fact, we choose to live for ourselves, and then therefore we become God's enemies. And as yet, it's at that point He died for us. Undeserving. We gotta understand this is this is why he died. We can't forget this meaning. We can't forget this purpose. This is the stark idea that is meant to change our lives. And what's Jesus doing here? This is not the, the last supper. In some sense, it's the first supper. But he's taking the meaning that's attached to the Passover, you know, and, and, and replacing it with himself. And where they would do it once a, once a year, he's saying, start every week this way, guys. 
start every week with this. You know, and the, the third point, you know, how do we connect to this idea of, okay, the, the cross uh, and Jesus' death is immensely important. And you know what? Uh, the purpose of it is, is, is our salvation and there is no other way. Well, how do we connect to that? And, and, and coming together, eating it every week, drinking it every week, you know, is one of the ways. You know, over the years, various people have different concepts, right? Catholic Church and even Martin Luther, you know, taught this idea of transubstination. You know, that, that essentially when, when Jack prays uh, as we take communion, that it literally becomes his flesh. Or it literally becomes his blood, right? Uh, Protestant churches in history, you know, not including Martin Luther, uh, you know, they, 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 they had the viewpoint that it's just symbolic and it's about remembering. You know, and, you know but both have some valid arguments, right? It's probably not literally, because at the first one, he, 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 his body is literally holding it. And his blood literally is still in his body. It hasn't been spilled at that point. Probably not literally, you know, but, but, but to also make it something that's purely uh, psychological and that we remember or, or cognitive, well, it's probably not just that. Probably the middle. Probably both. Because we don't sit around and, and just figuratively everyone think about drinking some bread right now, everyone think about drinking some cup and how that would make you feel and how that would taste. And, no, no, it's tangible. And really, there's two... Uh, the early church was known for two things, basically. This, eating of the, the, the Eucharist, and baptism. Both being deeply spiritual things, but also highly tangible physical things. Right? And, you know, I think we're made that way and we need that. Right? We're not just physical beings, we're deeply spiritual beings. You know, and again, you think about how, how Jesus wanted, or God wanted them to do it uh, year after year as, as anchoring their identity in that redemptive act that God had done in Egypt. Jesus saying, look, this is the same for us. But it can so easily just become habitual. It can so easily just become ritualistic. We eat it, we drink it, and we don't think much about it. Whenever you really think about Jesus, you know, in terms of what he teaches and what he lays out in the Gospels, you know, there's no ritual other than communion, really, that he establishes and says, hey, do this perpetually. We're going to deny ourselves, take up our cross daily and follow him, right? But in terms of a, a, a ritual where God's people come together, I mean, this is kind of it. There's times that we've got to get this. This is to so permeate our, our minds, our souls, how we see the world, how we understand us, that, that, that it shapes everything about us. You know, first day of the week, every week doing it. We think about that idea of Sunday, taking the bread and the wine, starting your week, everything we do is done in the shadow of the cross. Every choice we make is, is, needs to be uh, you know, tested against this, this first thing that our week began with. And you think, how, how often does that thought come into your mind? How often do you think about, okay, how, I feel tempted to do this, but man, how does Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection change that? Or I think this is the right way, or this is the right choice, or is this what I should pour my life in? But, but you stop and think about, hold on, hold on. What Jesus has done dying for me, how does that mean to change what I see? Because the, the, the Eucharist, the Passover meal, both of them, you know, they, they, they so dominated their thinking regarding their life, right? It made them think about their past. We were slaves. Which is an interesting study of the Old Testament. They always speak first person about it. Even generations after. Four or five generations removed. We were slaves. 
Understand, that's what we were. Right? And I think as we take the bread and wine every week, we are meant to do that. We're meant to allow it to frame our past. Look back on our past and understand, this is where I was. I was enslaved by sin. I was serving self. And I was powerless to get freedom. That's where I was. But thankfully, it doesn't leave us in the past. In John 6, Jesus says, hey, you eat my blood. You drink my, you, you eat my flesh. You drink my blood. You have life. It's, it's, it affects our present. Yes, it makes us sober about our past. It helps us be a good steward of our past. But it doesn't leave us in our past. It frees us. It says, hey, this covenant, forgiveness of sins. Your past washed away. Don't forget what you were. But don't be tied to what you were. Huh? A lot of people get stuck looking at the past. No, no, no. We're free from that. Let's not get proud. Let's remember it. But it, it, it empowers our present. And then the whole chapter, you know, the whole section we read there, verse 29, it closes out looking to the future. Jesus says, I tell you, I will not drink from the fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. It anchors our future. It challenges us to take something we do week in and week out. And understand that in some sense, Jesus is fasting. He is holding out from that to the day he can drink it with us in his Father's kingdom. It affects every aspect of our lives, guys. And it needs to. Our past, our present, and our future. Like we said, the, the reason for it is the most important concept in Christianity. What should have been an emblem of disgrace became an emblem of triumph. What should have been in place of a, a, a badge of shame became a badge of honor. Right? It's immensely important. And the, and the purpose from which it was sent is the only, is the only way that we can have salvation. You know, and, and, and we got to allow the, 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 the core message of the gospel, Jesus' death and his burial and his resurrection, to infuse every aspect of your life. When we do that, we can live lives that ultimately glorify God. Amen? Let's have a prayer, and then we'll, uh, we'll stand together.